Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Yes, this is episode 15 of Orange and Back Check. Glad you are here. It's a little bit of a somber one. We'll get into it a little bit later in the podcast. Obviously, the sudden death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and all other seven passengers that were aboard that helicopter is overtaking the sporting world. So we'll talk about that a little bit into the podcast a little bit later, but We'll try and focus on hockey that happened this week as what you can call it was hockey. Um, I'm Bill Kornfeld. Scott, how's it going, brother? It, it's going good. I did. I agree with you. I don't know if this weekend was actually hockey, but uh, still, it was somewhat enjoyable to watch. A keyword, somewhat. I think the NHL has some good things going on with the All-Star weekend, but some things I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, and we'll start with just the skills competition. There wasn't. There wasn't anything that was just like, oh my god, I had to see that kind of thing. Like, Well, there was something, but it was for the, all the wrong reasons. And that's the Shooting Stars competition, which was, I think this was the first year of it, the Shooting Stars. Yes, it was. And I'm not going to lie to you, I thought it was awful. Uh, I thought yeah. the Shooting Stars was, I had so much excitement to watch that because I'm like, wow. They're going to do something different here. It's actually might be pretty cool. But the way they went about it was terrible. It's not the concept that was terrible. It's the execution was just god-awful. And, you know, I would hope that someone in the league office who kind of develops and runs this thing would have an idea of executing it better than they did. Do you think there's actually someone that sits in the NHL offices in Toronto just conceptualizing something like this that actually plans out like their sole job there that can't be a real job right probably in new york if anything else and i'm sure it's a real job and if anything i want that job because you know i do a much better job than they would because it's just here what killed me with that and if you watch the the nhl skills competition they had a giant for the shooting stars a giant arch of st louis with the number 10 on it. So if you hit the target and it dropped in the netting, it, it was supposed to be 10 points. But they neglected to tell people that if it sailed over top of the arch and still hit the back, it didn't count. Mitch Marner should have won that thing with 34 points, but he didn't get that because his thing hit the top and the back and then dropped down. And, and what was even worse, the stupidest thing I ever saw 
was the fact that they they used plexiglass and lasers for the accuracy shooting. I mean, come on now. They used to put targets in the net and you used to hit them and if it nicked it, it was that. It was simple. I don't understand why they had to go techie on the accuracy shooting, which is the simplest competition, and make it so stupid for the shooting stars. So, I mean, you could have put some technology stuff and when it hits a target, it would change color and there you go. There's your points right there. That would have been a much cooler thing. Mike, you try to get too fancy with a simple competition and not fancy enough with a new competition. So that was completely boring. Everybody just tried to shoot for the target in the middle, which was 10 points, and it was ridiculously stupid on the NHL's part to go with that. I don't understand why the most point value was even in the middle. Like, I get what they're trying to achieve, but... But, like, why is it in the middle? Shouldn't it be in the back? So, I don't dis- I disagree where you say that it was com- a complete loss. Like, a to- I think there's something there for them to work with. But I just don't – I have no confidence whatsoever that they're going to be able to work with it. Let me ask you this. If you're unveiling a brand-new competition that you've never done before, don't you want to blow it out of the water – and be like, okay, we're going to go this route. Instead of saying, oh, well, we'll half-ass this year. And if, it, if people like it, then maybe we'll do more next year. No, you want to have a whole bunch of stuff for your first year saying, okay, this is awesome. This is the coolest new competition ever. But they they half-assed it. That's the best way that I could see it. Because if you go back and look at the picture, they had like boxes in the back with points like if it hit the netting in the box in the back it was four points and if it hit the wall of it it was two and they had like little targets like almost like ski ball you know like when you play ski ball and you have the 100 points in the corners and you always try to go for them they yeah. have two 10 point things right in front of that and a big 10 point thing in the middle under the arch so the right away Everything that I saw, everybody's strategy was just, oh, we're gonna, everybody's going to shoot for the 10 in the middle. So it doesn't add any value to it. The, the value for something like that would be, okay, you're, it doesn't take a lot of skill off a 40-foot platform to push a puck in the air about 100 feet out. However far it was. I don't know how far it was, but it looked like about 100 feet. But yet again, I don't have the best depth perception, but we'll, we're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> the point is, is that you could have made it cooler, almost like ski ball. Like, okay, we're going to we're gonna put the big ones back in the corner. If you can launch them that far, then yeah, like, you know, that you'll get bigger points for that. But they put the biggest target right in the middle. And not only that, too, it annoyed me how you would hit the platform, because, but if it went over the arch and hit it in the back, it didn't count. So that's what I'm saying is that it's just poor execution on how they did that on something that really has a lot of potential. But I think that most people would look at this now and say, well, that competition was stupid. They're just going to do 10 every year. Change it up a little bit. Do something a little more innovative than just paying, hey, your biggest points are right here. You know, like take a perfect example is that the extra point in the NFL used to be at the two foot two yard line. This is the equivalent of that. It was a chip shot for these pro players. Okay, you take them back now to what the thirty-yard line, or the twenty-five-yard line, or wherever the hell it is now. Yeah, and you make it more of a challenge, and that's what they needed to do there right off the bat. Not, not, not wait till next year and you know another year to to do this kind of stuff. It would have been good to do it now. And please, can we go back to the old-fashioned accuracy shooting? 
Because there were points where those guys were hitting it right on the target or right underneath it, where it would have nicked it if they had the old foam ones, and they weren't getting credit for it. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a silly thing, if you ask me. Yeah, it just seems like we, we praise them for being innovative in, in the All-Star break, in, in, the, in the All-Star game, especially with incorporating the women players of hockey, and that was one of the highlights of this week. That was the best competition. The women's three-on-three was some of the most exciting hockey I've seen in a while. I'll tell you what, I thought it was better than the regular All-Star game because you know why? The goaltenders were the difference in that game, and that was what's awesome about it, is that goaltending in a tournament like that actually mattered. Yeah, and th- exactly. Like, the the women of this, which was American All-Stars versus Canadian All-Stars of I, – I, do I don't think they have a pro women league, or maybe they do, and it's just kind of like the women's pro soccer league where it's very minimal in terms of uh, recognition, which is sad. The NWHL, that's what it was. Um, I, I think it's still expanded. I don't know if it's still there. Um I'm not 100% sure. But either way, like what what was great about this was it incorporated once again the what and this is actually a a good thing that they could incorporate I think next year even though despite the division rivalry thing working I think that's a that's a good concept that they have. Unfortunately, the Metropolitan just laid an egg and completely blew it. I don't even know what the score was. I think they lost by like four goals uh to the Atlantic and the- they were up at one point then they just fell apart. Yeah. But this is this women's game, the three v three elite women's, was the back to the good old traditional Canada versus the United States, which I think is what will appeal to most people. When you're watching the Olympics, and we're gonna get to the Olympics a little later on, like I think everyone just recognizes it's either Lake Placid in 1980 with the United States versus Russia, or it's just any time after that where it's United States versus Canada, because America has American teams have owned the Stanley Cup for decades. It seems like decades now. Like, when was the last... The Montreal Canadiens have the most Stanley Cups of any team in history, but they haven't won it in... God, it feels like it's been like 30 years. Very close. The last time a Canadian team won were the Montreal Canadiens in 1993. Very good. Very good with your hockey history there, Billy. I'm proud of you. That's probably before you were born, too, right? I was born in 91, so I was two. Maybe that's why they lost. So close, youngins. But either way, like, this is what one of those things the NHL did good at. Like, we talked about earlier the shooting stars, which, by the way, that's the first change they're, they should be making. Shooting stars is the dumbest name on the planet. Why is it called that? Uh, because, again, that person that you're referring to in the NHL office whose job it is to sit around and think about these things didn't do a good enough job of it. So this is something that they'll clearly, I hope to see build off of. They ever have already, I think there was a woman that did compete in the shooting stars competition. Hillary Knight. Oh, that's right. She's one of the more popular women or recognizable names on, on the USA women's team. Correct. And then obviously there's always, there's a, starting last year in the 2019, they had a woman compete in the, in the speed skating. Like there's, they're slowly but surely incorporating women into just about everything over this weekend, which makes it work. But, like, because they don't market it, because, like, they just do the bare minimum marketing, I should say, there's no real player, there's players playing in it, but then the big ones are either hurt, like Connor McDavid is, and that's why he didn't win fastest skater, 
And Alex Ovechkin is tired and trying to win another Stanley Cup, so he wants to take the week to rest. Because this is a long week break. The Flyers don't play again until Friday. They have basically a week off. Plus, and the, like the, because Travis Konechny is the old, was the only All-Star game this weekend, over this weekend, the team is enjoying rest. You saw, I think it was uh, Claude Giroux's wife. I don't know where they were, but they were just enjoying a nice family vacation with uh, their newborn son. That's great to see, and I hope that means that we're going to see a well-rested, well-equipped Flyers for this final 32-game stretch. We can talk about the Flyers here a little bit, which we kind of have in the last couple of weeks. Well, like they're 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 right now sixth in the Metropolitan. They're one point out of a playoff spot. I think it's very favorable for them to get rested up because Jeru's going to need to be good down the stretch. Jake is going to have to be doing Jake things down the stretch, <laughs> and also Shane Gossespierre. Although we've we've ripped him this year, mainly me, but we've ripped him this year. He's got to get healthy because if he, they're not going to keep him on the team, they, they've got to move him. So they they definitely have a benefit with the week break here. But that goes into the next thing that's been going on that people have been talking about over the weekend is the Olympics. Gary Bettman comes out and says he does not think the Olympics are good for the NHL. I think that is the most asinine thing out of all the statements, Barry Barry Getman. Jesus, I mean, why not? <laughs> Gary Bettman, what kind of name is that? Out of all the things Gary Bettman has said, <laughs> the Olympics are good for the NHL. I mean, if anything, that's one of the best things to draw people to the sport because then everybody is watching. You know, and they'd say, oh, we, we having a hard time taking two weeks off because it's not good for the NHL. You know, we're not making any money there. Well, then figure out a way to do it. You can absolutely do something where you can put in conjunction some sort of marketing marketing plan with the Olympic Committee and the NHL promoting these players because, frankly, the best players in the world should be on Olympic ice. There is no doubt in my mind. Look, with all due respect to the college teams, the Miracle and Ice team from 1980, all the college players over the years and all the semi-bro players who used to be NHLers in the last Olympics in 2018, with all due respect to those guys, you're not the best in the world. You're the best representing our country and other countries throughout the world, but you're not the best in the world because really the best players in the world are in the NHL. And here's the issue with it too. The fact that if you're going to not put NHL players in the Olympics is the fact that nobody's going to be watching you during the Olympics. So you're talking about, oh, we're not going to make any money. Well, nobody's going to be watching you during those two weeks anyway because everybody's going to be glued to the Olympics. So find a way to make some money off of it. Let's get rid of the All-Star game for those years. And let's stretch the schedule out a little bit more. If you have to go in the middle of April to get it done, then go in the middle of April to get it done. If the Stanley Cup is not handed out to the middle of June, nobody's really going to complain over that. So the point is, is that they, the NHL did a great thing in 1998 when they started bringing out the, uh, the, the NHL players into the Olympics at the first one in Nagano, which were fantastic Olympics, by the way. 2002 in Salt Lake, one of the most popular ones ever. And then 2006, okay, not too bad. 
2010 where you got the gold medal game between the U.S. and Canada? That's exactly what you want because and all of your prime NHL players are playing on national TV in the middle of the afternoon where the entire world is watching. If you can't tell me you don't make money off that, something's wrong with you. 100%. And there was a great article in the Hockey News uh, by, by Ken Campbell, who I think this is the exact quote that everyone needs to be. As you said, NHL B- G- Commissioner Gary Bettman said uh, during the, like, it's almost like a the the NFL commissioner's, like, state of the league address, I guess. That's how they treat it when during the All-Star break with Gary Bettman speaking to reporters on Saturday, the or the, the afternoon before. Before the final, they'll do the same thing. Yeah. But he says, meanwhile... Uh, it, it would be extraordinary disruptive, as you said. But then Ken Campbell points out, meanwhile, half the league is already off for five days before the All-Star game, and the other half puts its feet up for the five days after, and the league takes a four-day break just to put the event on, but it's apparently too much for the league to take a two-week break every four years. And that's 100% true. Like, you're telling me, and you've already done it. You did it in 2014, just six years ago, when you wanted, went to the, I think it was the Sochi Olympics that year, when it was, uh, you had your NFL, NHL players because you knew the Alex Ovechkin, you're not going to stop him from going to the Olympics. I'm sorry. No matter what you think he's going to do, he's going to the Olympics. There's no stopping him. There's only so many times in a man's life where he'll get to play hockey for his country. Okay, yes. let's put that in perspective here. There is a grown ass man wanting to play for his country, for his pride, for his people. Okay, it doesn't matter what country you're from. You want to put on your flag and you want to play hard for your people in your country when it's in an athletic sporting event like that. You want to do that. And the fact that the NHL is doing a disservice to themselves by blocking these players will not play well into the hands of the league. Really, it's the owners not wanting to do it. It's not just Bettman. Bettman is the voice of the owners. The owners don't want to do this because the owners don't want to take money out of their pocket. But they have so much more opportunity if they do it right. When they don't do it right, as they haven't for the past 15 friggin' years, then that's why you have people now saying, oh, well... The NHL is not good in it. I didn't see any problems from 1998 to 2014 when the last time they did it. I didn't see anybody not watching the Olympics at all because the NHL wasn't on. I'm, it, it bewilders me how they try to spin this to make it seem like it's a problem. It's not a problem. The All-Star Game's a problem. That's what it is. It's because you have potential there. You don't do it right, but you want to keep your money in friggin' house. But the thing is, is if you go and you put these players on a global stage and show the, the talent that these players have on a global stage, then people will tune in prime time. People will tune in at 3 o'clock in the morning 12 o'clock in the afternoon, it does not matter because you know why? It actually has a lot more value, and you can get value out of it. At some point, the NHL has to recognize that its marketing problem is its biggest hindrance on its growth as a league. It's why it's fourth in sports. We we, we can hammer and haw at this time and time again, but it's, it's like we're ta- we've said it numerous times on this podcast exclusively, and we're a young podcast. We've only said this, we've only done 15 total episodes, including this one, and we're saying 
the exact same thing that has been said for years. Like, everyone recognizes the problem except Gary Bettman. There's a reason he gets booed at every All-Star game. There's a reason he gets booed at Game 7 or the clinching game of every Stanley Cup final presenting with the Lord Stanley Cup. He is not a well-liked commissioner. And it's reasons like this of saying that it's extraordinary, dis- extraordinary, dis- extraordinarily disruptive to put the league on pause for two weeks in the middle of February. Who the hell cares about what goes on in February? I get what you're after the trade deadline. You're starting to get in the nitty gritty of the league, the end of the league regular season. But you, and like you said, just push the league back. An additional two weeks. I'm not going to bitch and moan about you uh, having a middle of the of of June Stanley Cup final. No NHL fan is, and you might actually get more fans to come in because you go later. It's a stretch, but it might help. No, and the key thing I want to point out from what you said there is that nobody cares what's going on in the NHL in February. All right. Nobody does. The NHL in their mind thinks that should be their most popular time because we've passed the Super Bowl. We're in the middle of basketball season before pitchers and catchers report. It should be a gleaming time because we're the only sports on TV. The biggest thing you said about February, and here's the key thing that nobody is going to care when the Olympics come on around this time in February. You have the entire audience watching that. Nobody's caring about what's going on around the league. You get players refreshed, and you set yourself up fantastically leading into March and April where the playoffs begin because those are the most two important months. So February, the less time you can spend playing NHL games in it will actually be better. Because they had the theory, oh, well, the, you know, it's going to get warm out and people are going to go outside and watch it. Yeah, but if you market it and say, hey, some of these players are going to go to the, the playoffs and you got to watch this guy on this team and this is how their team is doing. Intertwine how the players are doing on their teams. Feature them on the ice. Build some sort of conjunction with that saying That way, everybody around the world saying, wow. You know, I didn't know these Flyers or this guy was in the Flyers, but I like watching him and he's really good. Maybe I should watch them and see how the team is doing. And then you'll draw more people in that way. You'll draw more money in that way because you have a global platform for that interest. So shutting it down in February for two weeks to do the play, to do the Olympics, it would be an amazing lead into the playoffs. But I don't understand why the league doesn't see it that way. It does not make common sense. It doesn't make business sense because it just means to me that they're being lazy about it and don't feel like marketing. And you're right. We're only 15 episodes in. And we dog the NHL completely about some of the things that they're doing. And the reason why is because we want them to be better than fourth. There's opportunity there for them to be better than the fourth place sport. And slowly, unfortunately, as much as I hate to say it, slowly but surely we'll start to get outpaced by European Premier League. That will happen one day because those fan bases are rabid and they are completely loyal. And there are people over here on this side of the sea that want to watch it. And that's why NBC dedicates an entire more Saturday morning to them because it gets ratings. So they own that day. So the NHL need to start thinking in more matters of what's going to help them marketing-wise. And, and, that, and that's, I think, it's what's going to help them. And I'm one of those people. I love waking up on a Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and watching 
the Premier League because it's the best soccer. Oh. And I know saying best soccer is weird for American listeners, but it truly is some of the best soccer in the world. But I think I think the NHL is okay in that sense simply because of the time difference. There's a it's difficult. Like I see what you're saying in terms of catching up in terms of ratings, but I think they'll still hold an edge be, just because Americans watch TV at night. Like it's like the latest game that you'll watch in terms of a Premier League or a European soccer match is 2:45 p.m., which is depending on the time area time zone that they're in in Europe, they'll be fine because it's like eight o'clock at the latest in in Europe. Either way, I don't your know. point remains the same. Like the NHL continues to struggle with these marketing ploys, and it's ironic because NBC owns both of them. They yeah. own the the NHL and they own the rights to the European Premier League, so, or the, the English Premier League. So, what is their ultimate goal here in ter- in not other than not trying to get? exposure to its highest level my buddy Charlie, my closest friend Charlie, he is a die hard liverpool fan i mean this guy i'm telling you he does not they, they won the champions league last year play out of anfield see i know my stuff charlie but the point is is that he does not miss a single game like he is so rabid about it and a lot of things like you're talking about you're one of those soccer fans Mm-hmm. You're rabid about it. There's no just casual really watching. You get into it. The point I'm making is that I I took a trip to Chicago back in the fall to see my buddy who lives out there. My buddy Charlie came with me. And one of the things that we wound up doing was going to a bar at 6 o'clock in the morning to watch Liverpool. They had an open bar there to place. The play, and the place, actually, by the time the second game came on, it had a, had a decent amount of people in there. So... That's what I'm saying is that they're, they're going to start getting people to get up that early and watch those games if you, if you believe it or not. Now, you're right. They watch TV at night. Most people do. The point is, though, is that the NHL should start looking at how, why. Why are these people getting up so early in the morning and going to bars and spending a whole Saturday watching soccer when the NHL is not using their marketing and taking the tips from that to do things better? All right, so before we close this this podcast out, the Flyers still have a game this week. They actually have two games this week, Pittsburgh and Colorado. Pittsburgh is on Friday night after just at the by the time they get to that, it'll be 10 games off or 10 days off, I should say, not 10 games. 10 days off and they're taking on Pittsburgh who they had they're riding high against. They certainly should be because they blanked them 3 nothing by uh, on the 21st of this week of this month. And they they blanked the one of the hottest teams in in hockey in the Pittsburgh Penguins, so they should be riding high. But historically speaking, these long breaks have been a detriment more than a an advantage for the Philadelphia Flyers. I don't I don't know how to make of use of this team, especially because of or of this break because AV is a totally different animal and has this team playing very good hockey consistently, and that's what's very so different about what we have had over the last couple of seasons. So on one end, Flyers fans should be very excited to get, see them back on the ice. And on other situations, they should be a little hesitant because of historically speaking, they suck on these long 10, seven to 10 game breaks that seven day breaks that they are about. They are coming off of now. Well, think about it this way. Every team in the league is coming off this break. So everybody's going to have a little bit of rust more rest than rust 
but they're going to have some rust to them. I'll say this. Coming off a 3 nothing win off of Pittsburgh, they're coming up on a six-point week. They have Pittsburgh on the 31st. The next day, they're playing Colorado, and then they're playing Detroit on the 3rd. I would say this. If you're a gambling person, I would not be surprised at all to see this be a two- or three-point week. And here's why. Coming off a 3 nothing loss, Pittsburgh's going to be ready to roll by the time that we get back. I don't think that Crosby played in the All-Star game. I don't think Malkin played in the All-Star game. So that tells me that they're going to be rested. The only thing that played would be Tristan Jari. Tristan Jari probably won't start. It would probably be Matt Murray. Matt Murray is not having a great year, but is kind of off in a rebound. And you play some play Matt Murray in that game with a healthy and rested Crosby and Malkin. I I have a hard time seeing two points out of that game. I'll tell you what, if they come out and the Flyers get two points in that game, I'll be very, very happy. But if you gamble, put your money on the Penguins. Then what makes it worse is that the next day you've got to come back and then you've got to come home to play Colorado, who's second in the Central right now. Colorado is not any easier. You're talking where you're going from Sidney Crosby. You're going to Nathan McKinnon, who's not far behind in a skill set there. They lost to Colorado earlier this season. I think that that could be another tough matchup for them, So especially on a back-to-back. The only favorable matchup this week that I see is against Detroit, but they're eighth in the Atlantic. And we all know what happens when the Flyers play last place teams. They don't play them very, very well. It's always tight. So can I see them stumbling a little bit out of the gate here? Yes, I can a little bit. But I think by the time we get to the time they play the Devils on February 6th, they'll be back to normal and they'll be because they have a, another uh, interdivision rival there. Even though the Devils are pretty much done and out of it, they're not climbing back at this point. It's a good opportunity for them to kind of get their bearings straight if they don't. Now, not trying to be pessimistic. It's just a point of looking at the schedule here coming up and given the last game and coming back and going to Pittsburgh and then having a back-to-back against Colorado, the schedule doesn't really weigh against you. It really doesn't play in your favor at that point. So very possible, I would say, maybe a three upwards of a four-point week, but don't expect three wins in a row, even though the Flyers have won four out of their last five and five out of their last seven. So they're a little bit hotter but this week stretch, you're right, could play into something here. So we'll see about that. Now, we're a hockey podcast. But I still am, and I'm probably going to get a little emotional on this. This Kobe Bryant thing, the tragic death of him, his daughter, seven others, Gianna's teammates, her parents, the pilot. I'm still trying to find the words of what happened because Claude Giroux said, I had the tweet up. I have to find it. Claude Giroux essentially said, I try to be like you every day. And that's so weird to hear. This is his exact quote. I've always wanted to be like you, not only as a player, but also as a person. You represent everything that is great about sports. Hashtag R.I.P. Kobe. In a world where we're spoiled, in the sporting world, with the legends, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Martin Brodeur, and then across the sports, Kobe, LeBron, 
Tom Brady, Drew Brees. Like, we've experienced something that I don't think many people can say. And then in a snap, we lose one at the young age of 41. I still don't know how to process this other than it's a total tragic loss, not just for basketball, but he transcended sports. And for that, I thank Kobe Bryant. He had his flaws. We know, I, 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 I get what, I'm not going to lambast it in any other way. We know what happened in 2003 in Colorado. We know what happened. There's a really interesting article that's out there about how he turned to faith. I'm not a religious person. But when you experience something like that, you kind of readjust your life. And in reading that article about his readjustment to faith and how it got it through got through that and helped what I hope is brought him at peace and helped make peace with the, those involved. He I he got my forgiveness for what happened, but I understand when people say they don't forgive him. I'm not gonna lamb. I'm not gonna say no. You have to. Uh, you have to forgive him. I'm not gonna say that. But at the same time, you can also say this is a tragic loss for the sporting world no matter who you are, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on that. And for that, I thank Kobe Bryant because of what he did for sports. And that's all I really have. Like, that's all the word. That's the best wording I can find for it. As a personal note, I work in HR. That's what I do for a living. And when things like this happen, there are no words. People always say they try to find the words. They try to try to understand what happened. But in reality, you, you, there are no words. The, you'll never find the right words. You'll never find the understanding. You'll never find the comfort behind it. You, you never will. And I think what's harder is the fact to know that his daughter, 13 years old. You know, my, my wife, after it happened yesterday, she showed me a thing on Facebook and kind of she had tears in her eyes and and kind of got mine a little bit as well because said right there in that moment that he saw his little girl come into this world and in the very last moments of her life along with his he was there and he was there to try to comfort her in something that I'm sure the whole time it was really, really a scary thing. And it makes you really appreciate the fact that, you know, I have two boys of my own. And, you know, I was leaving work tonight talking to somebody. It's something that, imagine what his wife has to go through. And his his other daughters, and they have to go through all of this now of mourning and there aren't any words to, to do that. And, you know, people are strong out there. There's a lot of strong people. But I can only imagine how strong you have to be to try to mourn the loss of not just your husband, but your child as well. So, you know, Philly, we lost one of our sons, Lower Marion kid. Although he played for the Lakers, people still loved him here. He did a lot of things for charity. He did a lot of things for sports in general. And he did a lot of things for kids especially. Especially his daughters trying to want to become a WNBA player. 
trying to do that for other kids as well and get them to their potential. He he saw the big picture. You know, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I truly appreciate someone from the local area being able to make the impact not just in a city, but in the entire world that he did. And having what happened to him is just beyond awful. And it's even worse with his family. And really give thoughts and prayers to those who deserve it, especially his wife and his his family and his his daughters. And I, I really hope that he is long remembered for the things he did outside of the game rather than the things he did inside the game as well. We kind of take things for granted as people. I mean all things aside, I mean, we, we've taken some things for granted. I mean, look who's in the White House right now. I'd say we might have taken things a little bit for granted, just in general. All right? That's not a political point, just in general. The bigger thing I want to say out of this is that sometimes we get so busy and so overwhelmed by things we're trying to do in life and with life that we don't see what's right in front of us. The most important things in the world are your family, your family members. Family and friends are the most important things in the world. Not money, not fame, not fortune, nothing else. The most important thing in the world is your family. So let's not use a somber moment like this at times to just say, go hug your kids tonight. No, do it every night. Let's not say when we're in a rush, not hold the door open for somebody. No, let's take that second and hold the door open for somebody. Let's take a moment to understand what we the little things that we don't appreciate enough in life. And let's do that more often. Because I can say this. That's probably something that could be more appreciated than anything else. And remembering somebody is remembering it's not just when we see something somber or experience something somber, but doing it all the time because of them. I don't know if I'm articulating that the right way, but I hope you understand what I'm saying as well. The important thing is love your family every day, love your friends every day, and don't lose sight of what's what right in front of you. Because that way in instances like this, We don't have to go through the rest of our lives with regret or somber because we have to live in memoriam. It's a sad day for the sporting world. That's what I'll say about it. And uh, we started this silly podcast just kind of wanting to talk about sports and have a good time. And moments like this, I think we just need to air it out and get it out because I hope this helps someone that wasn't able to find the words and is still trying to process it because Kobe was Kobe. Like we, we dealt with, and I'll, I'm going to close on this. Roy holiday is another famous Philadelphian that kind of, but, and everyone just kind of processed that and then moved on. This is different in the sense because Roy holiday was a Philadelphia guy. He was a Toronto guy. Kobe was international on a scale. I don't think we'll ever comprehend. I went to the gym today and I saw at least 15 Kobe jerseys. Not just people playing basketball. Running. 
exercise, like any type of exercising. So that was the impact of of Kobe and what he did and what for he did like what he did for the team and what he did for the sport is something I don't think we'll ever see again. Our children will never understand what it meant to be or watch Kobe Bryant. We'll have YouTube and all that to help them understand what it meant, but it it will never be the same. We'll show them highlights of, of or we'll show them Connor McDavid, Crosby, all of these guys that are coming up in the league or in the league that have established themselves. But it's totally different when you get someone like Kobe Bryant. Dude took 10,000 shots a day over the summer just to work on his craft. You don't see that work ethic anymore. No matter what we think is our work ethic, no one's going to match that. So that's where we're going to close. We hope you are able to get through this as much as we can as best you can we're all here for each other that's the best thing i can say we appreciate you listening for scott weinhart i'm bill kornfeld this is orange and back check kobe